And welcome to the Third Space Podcast, episode number 75, Rights and Wrongs. In this episode, Daniel and I discuss rites of passage. We've noticed that it seems like adolescence is growing longer and longer. The, the transition from childhood to adulthood, you can no longer pinpoint exactly when it happens. And maybe at some point in the past, you could point to getting a driver's license or, or turning 18, being able to drink alcohol or going to college. But it seems like now it's not quite so clear. People aren't necessarily engaging in all of those activities, certainly not engaging with them in the same way. There's the complicating factor of technology, social media, the internet, the dissolution of family, the degradation of social fabric. All of these things we talk about in relation to rites of passage and the formation of identity. I found it to be a very fun conversation. We definitely fell into third space a couple of times. So I hope you will enjoy it as well. Hello, Bennett. Good morning. Top of the morning to you. Top of the morning to you. How do you how do you feel in the morning typically to, to just launch into a discussion like is that a good time or do you prefer evening when, when are you most crisp for podcast style third space oriented discussions you know it might actually be the morning um i'm i'm not i don't consider myself a morning person in fact i don't even like that phrase i consider myself <laughs> a had enough sleep person so as long as i've had my you know eight hours um, or even better, nine hours, which is closer to my normal, <clears throat> then uh, I'm, I'm pretty good. I'm pretty uh, pretty even keel after that. I guess there are times uh, when I'm less ideally suited for third space, which would be in the midst of a work day or you know when I've when I felt kind of scattered, when I've got a lot of spinning dishes that I'm trying to keep spinning, you know, yeah, the is spinning it, dishes. You know that you know people spin dishes, right? On the little yeah. poles. On, the, that's, on little poles. That's just a thing people do a lot. Enough that it became a metaphor for our society. You know, just spinning lots of dishes. Exactly. That's the analogy I'm going for. Anyway, that's a state of mind where I'm probably not ideally suited for third space, but can still fall into it with a little bit of nudging. But today, uh, you know, it's uh, it's Washington's birthday, the holiday that we we decided <laughs> to keep that one. I think maybe. Yeah. Yeah, we'll um, keep it. We'll celebrate it. We're we'll celebrate it today. So, you know, I got the day off. Uh, I've already had two weekend days behind me to kind of relax and forget, you know, that I have a job and just really enjoy some peace. Uh, so I would say right now I'm in a pretty good spot for third space. I'm feeling great. I like that. How about you? Are you I, uh, uh, honestly... I'm ready and locked in for our conversation and oh, happy yeah. to have it and well rested. Um, yeah, but and then there's some things off air I'll share with you that are frustrating. Um, but I'd rather not talk about that right now. <laughs> Me either. <laughs> Which is kind of a crappy thing to say. Yeah. I guess. Everyone listening, we got some juicy, <laughs> juicy tidbits going on, but you know. I'm not gonna discuss uh, those. Yeah, yeah, it'll be really interesting, but we'll save that for off air. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Yeah, like I, I, I've thought about, we've discussed waking up and how difficult it is for me. And you are very well regulated in general. Like you would say you're even kill across the board emotionally and uh, like just like Mr. Stable, we could call you, you know. And so you go, you get sleepy when you should, you, you wake up when you should, and you just are... The, the degree of routine is you're just a stable and if you're if you're if you're an engine you're just like well oiled and and it's it's humming along you know all the pistons are firing yeah. and so waking up for you sounds like an experience that I don't really have um in terms of you just like the way you've described it to me is you wake up and well, it's not it, it's not that remarkable. That's what's interesting. Is there's yeah. not this struggle or this oh my gosh, the morning like I do not want this. I have that wrestle, <laughs> that episode, I, that battle even on a morning like today with no alarm. I had to go, well, it, it was interesting cuz I did have enough sleep. So this is a good example. Just a good night's sleep. And I did not want to get up, and I still had the little battle. It was just a mild battle. It ranges from mild to severe, but you just don't have the battles. Like this whole scale that I operate on doesn't exist in your life. I mean, not that you've never woken up tired or groggy or not wanting to wake up. That happens to you, I'm sure. Like yeah, I have certainly in the past and different things. But but you know that's not a daily occurrence for you. And I and what's weird is I suspect I'm more in the typical range. Even though what I want to say, what you experience, should be more normal, but I think I'm just most people are like me. It's just waking up to this sort of miserable endeavor. Hmm. Do you think that that's more of a physiological thing? You know, because you're chronically underslept, or a psychological thing? Uh, I almost certainly a combination of the two. Uh, because I'm not like in this recent era. I mean, Danielle goes to sleep around eight thirty. I'm falling asleep by nine thirty, um, or or I'm in bed asleep by ten. I wake up at five thirty. It's I'm I'm on a good routine. So then sleeping in on the weekends, by the way, is like seven thirty or eight, and that's still early for like weekend waking up and and nice because I've slept in. So I guess that circadian rhythm or whatever is a little like two hours is significant. Like maybe I shouldn't be doing that, um, but I don't know. I think it's really more just hum of it. Probably a little bit of anxiety and all of that. Like I wake up and then think, oh, what should I be doing? And then there's a little bit of guilt of if I, but I want to go back to sleep and that sort of thing. So, yeah. Hmm. Um, usually, anyway. Usually for me, like, it's, it's pretty rare, but sometimes I will wake up at my normal time, like 7.30 in the morning or whatever, um, and it'll be a weekend, and I'll be annoyed that I woke up kind of on time, you know, because I wanted to indulge and sleep in an extra, this morning was kind of like that. I woke up at 7.45 and I kind of wanted to sleep in just a little more, you know, because it's a, right. it's Washington's birthday. Washington, Washington would have slept birthday. in. It's cold outside. It's comfy under the covers. Beds are nice. Yeah. Right. And yet I could not. And so I was a little, uh, it, there, there's a tiny battle there, which is, you know, I'm awake, I'm conscious, there's light in my room, and and I don't want to be awake. And so you kind of battle to try to kind of doze off and go back to sleep. But I, I think just over the years, I've kind of lear learned or just become habituated to don't have that battle. Like if you're conscious, 
you're, you're just not going to get quality sleep again, so you might as well just get up. And you're right. Don't Not having that battle is the same as saying I'm never going to hit snooze. For me, the biggest change in my routine was I, w- I used to debate whether to work out right when I woke up or, or after school. Well, when you wake up and then make that decision, I'm going to go back to sleep and have this sort of fitful 45 minutes mm-hmm. that is not satisfying. And then I might be tired. And if you're going to work out after work, there's reasons to not do it after work. You're tired. I have this other thing to do, whatever. So yeah. I, I've stopped debating myself um, in the mornings. And that lack of debate is actually really just smart mm. you know this is don't don't debate it just do it um because debating it is engaging in the suffering <laughs> and yeah, running right. the suffering that i'm talking about yep so uh what you oh. got for me this morning <laughs> all right um this is me rubbing my hands together I hear i've uh, i've been thinking this is how i think oh, uh, yeah. you know with cosmo on the way um, who's cosmo Cosmo's my son. Oh, okay. <laughs> I don't think you've uh, said his name on the podcast before. Ah, well, Cosmo, my son, is on the way. A very uh, third in... space name. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, of the Cosmos. Um, in April, and here we are, mid, mid-late February, um, and I've been thinking about big picture ideas and what I want for him and and one thing I've I've noted and this is not 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 particularly novel observation but um rituals and rites of passage are very important and they serve as sort of markers for individuals and for the society to recognize that individual's growth right so like mm-hmm. how do you transition from a boy to a man or from a girl to a woman um and how do you know you're on that right path and so usually they are sort of societally or socially constructed um and then they are i mean it's kind of like you know weddings or marriage marriage is an institution and the wedding is a ceremony a rite of passage to go from single to like you know a couple a married couple Mm -hmm. and it's obvious to me that the couple doesn't necessarily need it to know that they are in fact committed to one another, but there is value in the society coming together and recognizing that. And, and, it, and it feels like they, it, there's a simultaneous acknowledgement. And I even think about the way we have school set up with grades 9, 10, 11, 12, whatever, and graduation. Graduation is a big ceremony. Or getting your driver's license, you trans, transition from a non-driver to a, a driver mm-hmm. or uh, you know, uh, a high school student to alumni or, you know, and, and these things are important because otherwise, like, I need to look at someone and sort of gauge where they're at. I like knowing that they've gone through these markers. So I know to treat them with, I mean, honestly, especially us, especially you not working with students, you wouldn't, you'd see a 16 year old or a 19 year old or possibly a 23 year old. You'd just be like, I don't know. And <laughs> until you've learned they have their degrees or have graduated or whatever. Um, and so I think these markers are really pivotal, yet I think they've been slowly decon. As we become more casual, these mm-hmm. these rites of passage have become uh, less and less. I think they used to exist far more. I'm not saying we should return to some like tribal days where we like send boys off to live in a hut to transition into a man when they're 13. I think there's some like because a lot of these rites of passage are harsh because you need to turn like a soft boy into a tough man, and I think there's still there's 
validity in toughening someone up. I'm not criticizing that, but I'm saying we don't need to like beat someone or like gang initiations, you know, those are actual rites of passage um, and involve violence frequently. So we've deconstructed them, but it occurred to me that even in healthy societies of yesterday, you know, like before they were deconstructed, they're still were absolutely focused on the youth. Yeah. Which I think think that's a good thing, by the way, because youth are like lost, don't have a sense of identity, or looking for it. And identity, to me, is so deeply socially constructed. That's one of the problems we have with... Like, I'll just toss that question before we get into my big question, but do you think that identity should be social, like largely socially constructed, or is it completely internal? And, and I have some, some thoughts, but I don't want to lead you anymore. Um, wow, you, there, you threw a whole lot out there. Um, (laughs) sorry, I talked a little too long. (laughs) So yeah. All right. So I'll answer your question first. Um, should identity be socially constructed or should it be internal? Well, I think it's inevitable that it's socially constructed. I don't like the phrase socially constructed. Um, it has a lot of strings attached to it, but no, no man lives on an island, as they say. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so we inevitably have social connections with other people, and our behaviors are influenced inevitably by the people around us. They see our actions and respond, and we respond to their actions and reactions. We have reputations that we try to upkeep. And so our identity is going to be formed by the roles that we take in society. And that doesn't totally. mean that doesn't mean that you have to be a community leader or a deacon at your church or a, or even care about your job or even have a job at all, but you're going to have some relationship to your parents, your children, your other relatives, your friends, your neighbors, yeah. and those interactions are going to influence your identity. Um, so those roles you play absolutely matter. Totally. That's, you're, you're, I appreciate what you're doing because you're defining identity in the traditional sense. Well, Can I ask you then a follow-up? Like, Would sure. you say that are we on a trend? It seems that we are redefining identity as yes. more internal and that if society wants to contribute to that definition, you take offense to it instead of listening. Because like, yeah. traditionally it's a feedback culture and this is good because it helps it helps you know if you're on the right path or not or if you want to in fact critique and be on the out like that's all fine but I, but but I'll let you kind of go off on what you think about like identity currently defined as if if you disagree with my internal construction solely then then I should take offense well, I think, unsurprisingly, a large contributor to this change is the internet and social media. And people spend a large, especially younger people, spend a larger and larger percentage of their time online on social media. And so compare two interactions. Compare the interaction where you go um, hang out with your friends after school, for example, and maybe you... You crack some jokes, and your identity ticks a couple more ticks towards the kind of class clown, funny person in your friend group (laughs) or something. Or maybe you don't make a couple jokes. Maybe um, you're actually 
timid and you're too afraid to speak, then your identity ticks a little bit more towards kind of that introverted nerd type or something. Well, whatever the case, <clears throat> the actions that you're taking are ticking your identity towards some kind of collection of traits um, that, that are going to reinforce themselves and you're going to internalize yeah. that stuff. Okay, well now shift that to you're spending 30, 40, maybe upwards of your time online and your audience isn't a narrow friend group of seven or eight people. It's thousands, millions of people online who actually don't care about you or have any <laughs> any sort of bond to you whatsoever. And you're receiving their feedback nebulously and vaguely through short bits of text. You're making lots of inferences that you probably shouldn't. There Many are probably wrong. There's a huge amount of error. And you're you're not you're not able to put an action out there into the ether and receive a reaction clearly. There's a lot of noise, and so you say you crack a joke or something on Twitter or or whatever, then who knows what's going to come back at you, right? Like if you crack a joke about a topic that perhaps you shouldn't, you might get an a, an extreme amount of hate thrown back your way. You might right. be totally ignored. Or you might go viral for a reason you didn't expect. Like you, you don't, you don't know what you're gonna get, and it's not tailored to you personally. Like people aren't taking into account all the other instances of their interaction with you, and so it's actually totally and utterly disconnected from your actual identity. And so you can take that false information and integrate it and start to build a self that actually isn't representative of the real. The, the way the real world perceives you. And that's where I think a lot of this conflict comes in is because people will start to construct an identity. And, and let's be real, most people don't get back tons of hate or tons of you know uh, adoration. They get back nothing. And so that allows them to just create their own identity totally without feedback. You know, and you no can checks and balances. No yeah. checks and balances. You can build whatever you want out of yourself, and that sounds really empowering and freeing. Until you take a step back into the real world and you try to pretend that you are this created persona in the real world, and then you get slapped pretty hard because people scoff at you or think you're a total weirdo or they just don't believe you or whatever, and that causes you know a lot a lot of friction. And then maps on to the idea of, uh, of mental health being a lot more, um, think of a better phrase than socially constructed, but like uh, outwardly generated than you would think. Like mm -hmm. the checks and balances are really important. And the distinction you made between, I want to use two terms and see if they're agreeable to you, network versus community. And I'm going to say that the, the social digital networking is transient it's massive it's everything you were saying that like they don't know you well it's easy to get in it's easy to get out it's different it's evolving it's faster than we can keep up with and by contrast i'll call i'll say community is the 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 people in your life where it's actually um harder to get out right like you have to deal with the friction and mm -hmm. things so if you have your friend group at school like even if you fight even if you decide these aren't the friends i'm going to be with you still have to find some way to manage because you still have class together yeah. or whatever and your your family you know so that that in-person sense of community uh is and versus the network and so to me what that that i don't know we think so much alike in terms of Feedback from a network is either non-existent or uh, 
insincere, not not insincere, but so wildly incomplete and possibly insincere. It's just the wild west. It's just like who knows? Yeah, it's, it's just not reliable. It's not something you want to base much on. It's miscalibrated. You know? Like it's just not yeah. the the inputs you're feeding into the network and the outputs you're receiving just are almost certainly not connected. Yeah, yeah, and that is uh well it's a recipe for poor mental health which is what we're seeing play out you know with people spending increasing times in digital networks and less time in you know in-person communities and then they're just like they're absolutely i mean i feel like this is just the big conversation this is one of our big conversations but it's but it's it's, just it's a conversation of our time like it's it's a conversation that we as a society have to work out we have to we we must (laughs) yeah we i don't like the whole let's have a conversation i don't like that phrase either but this is a (laughs) this is a problem and as a species we must figure out this problem or you know things turn dire things are already dire i think like the the dissolution of social connections the social fabric fraying the mental health issues that you point the out. lack of rites of passage, which is kind well, of my point. That's, that's what know? I was going to ask. Yeah. Like, you, all right, so we have all these problems. We've acknowledged those. And you're suggesting that traditionally rites of passage helped to form a more solid identity. And here we are in the present with identities that are self-made and wrong, incompatible with reality, and a rite, a rite of passage might be able it won't go all the way to fixing the problem but it might be a step in the right direction that's what you're suggesting i am and i'm also saying that these rites of passage tell us how to relate to ourselves even as boys and girls and men and women and so not only i think most people would agree hey we've gone a little too far and we need more rites of passage but they might they might give pause to me saying we need to teach little boys how to be boy. Like we, we, we would, there'd be a temptation to make this not a gender specific. It's just all humans need these particular right. Oh, I know, can definitely see that of passage. temptation, but that's a, it's stupid. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just, because like, what does it mean to be a, a, a boy? And, and, and then you see these trends. If you, if like what happens is we like, this has always been the case from my understanding is that little girls have been more liberally oriented and little boys have been more conservative oriented. And that makes sense that girls are more socially conscious and then aware of those who are dispossessed and wanting to look out for them. And boys are more interested in things and wanting to go out and, and like their, their sense of perhaps individuality or just lack of awareness of, of the greater community might late. I mean, who knows? But the point is that those have always existed, but they're, the, they're becoming way more extreme. So like girls are becoming far more of the social justice warrior type and boys are actually they're They tend to be quiet in person. They will not like push back. They'll just kind of listen, but then they go on, go to their digital networks and saying, mm-hmm. you know, particularly white boys and then seeing where like like if they've been told it's it's not great to be this then they go online and then uh saying like no others are wrong you know you're 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 good for being white and all of a sudden we have these identity politics playing out identity identitarianism (laughs) or whatever the term is yeah um so we just don't know how to talk to boys about being boys and girls about being girls. We're almost scared to. In fact, it's not that we don't know how to. It's we're not. We're like a little bit unwilling to engage in that conversation. So we've deconstructed not only general rites of passage, 
you know, growth. We we keep birthdays and we keep grades and we give a driver's license and you graduate. Well, I that's mean, actually that's what, about it. <laughs> that's actually what I was going to ask. Like, you know what what rites of passage that we used to have do we still have? Like you say, driver's license, and I would agree. Like when I was thinking about what are the rites of passage for a young, particularly young men, young boys. Um, and driver's license seems like the one, right? So that's the one you're 16, you're 15 getting a learner's license and 16 getting a license. But I've heard, and I, I haven't looked up the numbers on this, but I've heard that we're in some weird place where fewer and fewer teenagers are actually getting their driver's licenses yes. and they're just kind of putting that off, which is very strange and foreign to me because I mean, even when we were teenagers, getting a driver's license was a huge deal and something everyone looked forward to. So yeah, what's your ticket to freedom? What's yeah. going on there? Like what's why why is this rite of passage, this ritual of gaining a vehicle and gaining some independence? Why is it deteriorated? Um, again, it goes back to the digital world is the important world to teenagers, and they mm. already have had access to it for a very long time. So I see. if all their they, – they, it used to be I can't wait to get away and go hang out with my friends. And, again, those communities. And you might get into a little trouble or do this and that, but, like, you were unsupervised. But the problem is we've tightened up the sort of – physical safety you know put that at a, at a there's no uh free range kids or running around there's no one at the playground kids unsupervised can you imagine leaving your kid at a playground right now i mean they call the cops and call child protective services on you if you just left a kid in a playground um but like so we've been overprotective in the physical world and underprotective completely yeah. underprotective in the digital world and so they have all the freedom they want so what why would they get together like what are they doing they're playing video games well boys specifically are more drawn to but they have all the access in the world digitally so why do they need to get together let me ask uh, physically let me let me ask this then if why do we require a license and an age uh, limit for driving on the road I mean, I imagine just, well, there's some obvious reasons like maturity and cognitive functioning and, and ability, skill, um, all kind of come into fruition. Like, imagine in theory, like, clearly there are talented seven, eight, nine year olds at complex video games and these complex tasks. So they have the capability, but they might not be physically big enough to operate a vehicle. So that's part of it. Um, but understanding uh, your role on the road might not be, I mean, are you are you capable of grasping that at 9 10 11 12 probably not and you're starting to we're on the early side to me it's like you're pretty young you're a kid you're 14 you're 15 years old you're in ninth grade and you get your learner's permit and you're all of a sudden with adult supervision allowed to drive on the road with adults so we're definitely on the early end but it just makes sense to have some sort of gateway to say or gatekeeping and go like you can't just you know, we can't hand a vehicle to anyone. Hmm. Um, and so, I, I don't know the reason, the, the, the brain science, man, why, why 16 to drive? I'm not really sure. So it's a complicated machine, which requires some amount of intellectual, mechanical and, uh, and maturity, intellectual and mechanical capability and maturity to operate. You're on the road with other people. And so there's a safety concern 
as well. Yeah, the risk taking factor because like the a nine year old might take take more risks and not understand the risks involved. Mm. You know. So, so how is this different from using social media or being a digital, you know, being in the digital space? Like, uh, it just makes me think that if we're positing that, you know, historically before in the pre-internet age, a driver's license was a rite of passage because it allowed a young person to obtain that freedom that they so desperately want. And it serves as a transition from immaturity to maturity. And it, it actually does put them in a space with some danger and risk, but also reward. How is it conceptually different from <laughs> the internet? Like, should we, you know, if, if history took a different path and we discovered the internet before cars. That's ridiculous. But like, would we have, <laughs> would we have internet licenses? Would you have to turn 17, 16 or 17 or 18 and get your internet license before you could have that rite of passage and go online and have that freedom to hang out with your friends playing call of duty or clash of Titans or whatever the heck Fortnites, <laughs> whatever the kids are playing these days on their video tapes. Like, would you need I, would you need that and and then and and the car thing is totally separate. But like, do you see the parallels that I'm drawing? I definitely do. I think it's completely analogous. I only th the only difference is the and this goes back to the the physical safety. Like, I think I think we adopted some. Jonathan Haidt calls it safetyism, yeah. right? This worship of our, our primary highest value in parenting should be to keep them physically safe. At who can, like. If it saves one life or we're so terrified of mm -hmm. like adult molestation or the razor and the candy that as the world and the there's like a big crime wave in the 70s and 80s, but kids were still latchkey kids running around and say, see you at dinner time, you know, not, not know there was no phones to connect. There was real actual real danger out there. And then as the world got safe, safer, but I think as, you know, 24 hour news cycles and the beginning of clickbait era far before we had the terminology or even the internet to call it clickbait but the oh my gosh red red alert there's yeah. uh amber alerts yeah there's scary stuff yeah out think about there. that Just amber alerts get beamed straight to your phone yeah. whether you want yeah. it or not I, of course i turn all of mine off um you have to yeah. dig down into jerk. your you don't care about ambers you have to dig ambers, down into you know? your settings just to figure out how to turn them <laughs> off but like it's no wonder people are paranoid. You get every every bad thing that happens in the in the, in the whole world in a sense being and discussions straight to of you. bullying and the bullying, bullying and, sure. and the physical safety that that the compromise of that. So so it's it's simple and it's so I think we adopted safetyism as our like uh, de facto value and we said um, that anything to keep them safe and we neglected because that's the primary difference everything you said about what like there's danger there's community there's harm you know, there these elements like we should require some sort of potential like digital i mean i don't want to i don't say we should um but the idea of giving a license to navigate these digital realms is not absurd if if we don't think you're giving well, a license I, I wonder Just when, some sort of check and balance i, I wonder know, some sort of things i wonder when we actually started having driver's licenses so surely we didn't have horse and buggy licenses yeah, no, no way we right <laughs> yeah, you know yeah. like and then the, the car was invented in the early 1900s and people were driving you know i i'm i I'm, my, i seem to remember my dad, historically my dad, i have 
Go ahead. There, there had to, so so my, my granddad, my dad would tell this story, but my granddad driving, no joke, and I want to go verify this, but like a school bus, for like, he would go around and help with the school bus, and he was 14 years old, and he was driving older kids sometimes. Yeah. Just to, he was part of the driving system. He'd get in the bus and go pick up the kids. Right. And well, it was just like, well, see, I doubt there was a license thing involved. I, know, well, you know? I, I don't think so. Like in the early era, early automobile era, of course the government wasn't making this widespread system of licensing, and there were no standards, and it was just kind of a how I imagine it was. In fact, I'm almost certain it was whether your parents thought you were mature enough to operate this machine. Like, you know, before yeah. we had cars, certainly you would let your young child or teenager ride a horse, um, you know, or pull the the little uh, farming cart or whatever, you know. Like, you would let them do that. And so when we got the uh, the, the automobiles, you know, there's no difference. Like it's a machine. It's a it's a it's a pragmatic tool to get from point A to B. And so, when your kid is old, is actually physically able to manipulate the levers and wheels and everything, and they have the maturity to understand what they're doing, then let them let them do it. And so there was no licensure. So, and then the government got involved, and then it kind of became a more uh, a more uniform rite of passage um, to actually get your license and you can argue about whether that's a good or a bad thing but I guess where I'm where I'm kind of going is if we wanted to get back to the more natural uh, emergent state of things when would your kid be allowed to go online well when the parents who should be very keyed into their kids emotional um, and psychological maturity when they think it's appropriate when when and and the thing about about it too another parallel that a, a reason why that analogy doesn't uh, doesn't fit so well is that think back to the past your the adults in the early 1900s were very aware of how dangerous it was to ride a horse or to ride in an early right. early vehicle or the the physical risk of being out on the road or whatever but now adults are are totally and utterly ignorant for the most part of the dangers <laughs> of the internet it's yeah the kids are more aware than the adults and so the adults actually have no authority to grant that freedom that license the internet license because they have no idea they don't know what's going on so it's a it's a flipped upside down world from what it used to be and everything i said uh or excuse me everything i read uh or read says that social media 16 which is give them a flip phone give them a phone this isn't about the phone yeah. people use the word phone for like you can text by the way because you're usually texting your community yeah. and not some network right yep. um and but it's the introduction to social media if it's too early uh and it disproportionately affects girls um and and it just 16 seems to be the age and I know some parents that are, or at least I know some students that follow through and almost like they, they didn't get it until we're talking 10th grade, yeah, right? right. Their, their first semester of 10th grade. And they go, yeah, I got it this year, but I see all my friends and they're so stressed and they're not managing their time. Well, like these are well-rounded kids that tend to say it. I just want to say that they are like the cool kids to me. Mm -hmm. They might, you know, they seem balanced and thoughtful and they see they're not 
I think a lot of kids are fish that don't see the water. They're swimming in these digital waters and not seeing. And they hear. They adults are constantly saying, "Get out, like this is terrible. Get out of the water." But they, like you said, adults don't have the knowledge, so they it falls on deaf ears because it just seems so. Adults are speaking to kids from ignorance on one sense. They 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 might deeply under like realize the what the literature is saying and their, their advice might be solid, but there's no credibility there because mm. they just don't know uh, all the trends and stuff. So it's easy for a kid to dismiss it. Um, plus, I think e- kids will say, yeah, I know it's bad, but it's kind of like we say, oh, Amazon's bad for, you know, the workers, the environment, the insert, whatever. There's always criticisms about Amazon. It used to be about Walmart, right? Yeah. But like we went to Walmart and order from Amazon now. So um, we just, we just kind of go, what you going to do? There's this mentality that's, you know, it's so overwhelming. It's here. I mean, people, adults, myself included. Oh man, I'm on my phone too often. But what you gonna do? It's it's current year. You know, <laughs> it's overwhelming. Um, and so th- these kind of re- these these big solutions require, I guess, like collective actions. Like it requires parents getting together and saying, "Hey, we're not gonna give a phone to our kids," or a school saying, "We're not gonna," you know, like like, and and then you 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 really double down on the sense of community and that way when a kid, even if it's just half the kids in the community are also not on their phones, well then, or on social media, well then they're going to get together and hang out and it'll be great. It'll be great. So, you know? so uh, put, put, put aside the, um, the, the issue, <laughs> the issues of, um, authoritarianism or government largesse or whatever. Would it be a better world if we could snap our fingers and magically we had an, uh, call it an internet license or a social media license. <laughs> so we could define the boundaries of what it covered, but very much like a driver's license, you have to be 16, you know, you can get your learner's permit and with supervision, you can go on the internet or whatever. And you're exposed to Twitter and you can see, you know, you can make a tweet tentatively, but it has a special learner, you know, I'm a caution student tweeter or whatever on the, <laughs> little label you know i really like that <laughs> and then you go into you know the imv or the no, it wouldn't be the, the department <laughs> i was trying to do department of motor vehicles the internet the of motor department vehicles. of social media yeah DSM. whatever <laughs> whatever it is you get oh it's that's ironic the dsm <laughs> yeah the diagnostics what is the actual one the psychological it's the Diagnostics and Statistics Manual is that what it is? I think that records the uh, all of the different disorders and everything. Yeah, I think that's what it is. The BSM. Anyway, <clears throat> you go into some office and you you know have to take a test that proves that you're <clears throat> aware of the rules of the internet or, or whatever. Anyway, would that be a better world? Like, would that would that step us towards? better health for young people or not would it would it establish a new rite of passage that's actually valued where the driver's license is kind of fading and not not becoming such a defining feature this would uh take us to a better place um yes i think so but i'm hesitant i wish i could snap my finger twice and add it in conjunction with another thing so Mm -hmm. like yes some sort of gatekeeping that just needs to be dealt with um particularly access to pornography too um like that some gatekeeping needs to be happening maybe at least like i'm attracted to that idea um i wish i could also snap my finger and 
go back to the when these tools, these social media sites, Twitter and whatnot, like get published. Um, I wish, I wish there was some consultation. I don't know. You might balk at this idea. I wish there were like some sort of philosopher or ethicist or moral people coming together. Because I don't feel like there was a discussion. The discussion was all like, this is a cool tool. How can we make it the most interesting? How can the driving question behind these tools was how can we create engagement? And there was no, I don't feel like there was any conversation about, well, what does that engagement do to our uh, social fabric? <laughs> mm. And I just, I wish that at the launch of these very powerful tools that that could have been considered. <laughs> and, and I feel like it, the reason that seems like it belongs, I know these seem like two separate points, the like, hey, access when you're mature enough. But like, like, is anyone, I mean, this, if we buy into the idea of uh, psychological addiction and the seriousness of that, like, it just is like, I mean, an age thing helps, but you're still just, yeah. I mean, you're still creating a, a dumpster fire. It's just like, you don't get access to the dumpster fire until you're 16. <laughs> it's like, well, then hope, the hope is that you reject on your own, right. well, you reject that's, the dumpster that's fire. That's the problem, I think. So I do balk a little bit. <clears throat> at what you're saying, like bringing in some expert class to dictate to us how yeah. how to make it better, or what red tape to put up to, you know, <laughs> to restrict the engagement. Like, I hate all of that stuff. So I definitely balk at that. What we've lost, like the role, who who is supposed to inform the immature, the young, the people who don't have experience yet, about the dangers of the world, it's their parents. Like it's the adults, yeah. it's the people with the wisdom and experience to know what the consequences of certain actions are going to be. Like what comes to mind is casinos. Casinos have existed for a, a long time. They have addictive bright lights and games and <clears throat> their whole job is to maximize engagement and it's dangerous for adults. But we don't yeah. let kids run around and gamble in casinos, right? Like there's been some... And, and, and we've really held the line about where they can even be, which I think might be smart. <laughs> like, I don't know. Right. But I, I imagine in the olden days uh, that it wasn't so much done by government intervention. It was that, you know, parents just kept their kids from going into casinos. Maybe there was some other practical thing like, well, kids don't have money, so, uh, <laughs> so yeah. they can't gamble yeah. very much. But, like, that's what I think we've lost is that – you know, as te technology's progressed at an ever-increasing rate, so, you know, to be fair to adults, it's hard to keep your finger on the pulse of technology and keep up with what's going on. Like, ask your dad about the latest AI developments, and he's not going to know, you know, what, what's going on, or he's not going to be able to conceptualize fully the risks involved. And so, you know, I sympathize with that, but that's still your job. That's your job as an adult, as a parent, to keep keep your eyes and ears open to the world and impose or not impose, but to educate your kid about how to navigate that world. Like you, it's your job to instill in them the moral capacity to self-discipline. Um, so yeah. if you, if you've done your job right, then even if your kid is exposed to a casino or to internet porn or to Twitter or to whatever it is, they can see it and go, oh, this doesn't feel right. You know, I'm going to refrain or 
um, or I'm going to ask my parents about it, or I'm going to ask some other adult that I'm comfortable with, or I'm going to discuss it with my friends, or whatever the case is, like there's some slowdown moment where you say, uh, this is something doesn't feel right about this. That's your job. And I think that over the past probably 50, 60 years, like even, even since before we were born, that has degraded and that's not present so much anymore. For sure. I think it goes back to the sense of community and this idea that it takes a village to raise a kid. Um, and, and we don't have villages anymore. The distrust, I mean, born out of safetyism oh this adult isn't gonna you know my neighbor isn't gonna act as a, a stand-in for an aunt or an uncle they're more like potential molesters shut the door <laughs> and like i believe and i might be wrong here but like if kids oh. were out <laughs> playing what sorry i just uh, i had an invasive uh invasive joke <laughs> pop into my head um could, do you mind if i interrupt uh, with it real yeah. quick. So yeah, for, ever since you told me uh, that your kid's name is going to be Cosmo, I was trying to, I've been trying to think what a, what a reasonable middle name would be. And I was yeah. trying to think of funny, funny ones. And I think Lester is a good candidate. So <laughs> Cosmo Lester. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you, it physically hit you that joke. It did, I yeah. I, I can't even see you, but it made you go, oh, like, <laughs> like the impact of that. Yeah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> All right. Um, so um, now, now I've derailed, so, um, totally derailed the thought. Now I can get there. So imagine the, the free range play, kids are out at the, you know, they're hanging out. This is the, 50, the 60s, 70s, 80s, whatever. They're out biking around and then they're up to a little bit of no good because they're kids and they're testing boundaries and it's what they do. I think neighbors would yeah. also help steer the course and go, what are you doing? Or get off my lawn or you shouldn't be doing that. Right. I think there was, and yeah, I think it maybe aired on like some adults were jerks and some were kind and, but they, there really was a collective mentality. And I think we not only have shied away from that but like not only do we hide kids our our kids from others but like as a conscious adult we don't feel empowered or like like hey what are you doing like stop cut that out i don't think people are Mm -hmm. correcting transgressions in public at all well i think Um, and i think kids are emboldened by that too in a bad way not not to take us too far afield but i think part of the reason for that is that adults are busy like it used to be. Yeah. It used to. Yeah. It used to be the case that the dad was out working during the day and the mom was at home, you know, taking care of the kids or whatever. And you had that division where the kids always had some adult around. And now, like a typical household, both the mom and the dad are working and busy with their jobs. And, and I suspect their jobs are even more insane than they were. Like just the just the man's yeah, job right. in the past. Let's just on a bar of productivity, or let's just put a number out there. They're doing seventy now. Two parents are working at a hundred. Yeah, you know, well, like and so they just don't have the capacity. Well, think about like, it too. Like aside from simply the time capacity, the mental capacity is increased too because now, what well, it used to be, you know, we had a landline phone, and. You don't get that many phone calls about work or whatever, depending on your job, of course. But now today, you're kind of always on call, and you're always you've always yeah. got your phone in your pocket, and it could buzz with an email at any time. You know, anytime 
all of your various subscriptions get updated. You've got an email whenever your bills are all online. And you're getting notifications all the time on your phone to manage adult crap. And so like the, the, the mind space of a typical adult today is de just definitely more dominated by external so, things and not things relegated to your family or certainly not raising your kids. Unless, in this unless context, you're very ahead. disciplined, unless you're extremely disciplined yeah, as a parent, yeah. then you, you're going to have your attention sucked away by so many other things. So actually, you know, I'm trying to be a little sympathetic to parents of today. Like <clears throat> there are more challenges or at least different, <laughs> different challenges to actually doing your duty as a parent. A hundred percent. Because this is why safetyism is so attractive. I can baby proof my apartment and I can make sure they're, they're not around any molest, potential molesters. And I've done my parent duty, at least by societal standards. I can pat myself on the back. I don't have time for the complicated inner workings of the internet, like, mm -hmm. or it, it, on all the woes that that might accompany. So and because that's sort of mysterious to parents or older people anyway, it's just like, well, you know, and 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 if all the kids are doing it, I don't want my kid to be left out. Yeah. So the point is, like, it really, I think we're at a time that's more crucial than ever is to get that sense of community yeah. in, in which there are adults that can, you know, so that they're not just getting messaging. I mean, this has always been true, too, as, you, as you're a kid entering into adolescence and starting to become more independent, you think your parents are idiots because, you know, and you start to, you're still thinking in black and white terms, you're seeing hypocrisy or you're seeing, and you're just, you're coming at them hard. You're like yeah. upset with it. And, and it's all natural because you're tr supposed to gain independence and you're supposed to break free. So this friction is totally normal. But if we are more siloed than ever and they aren't hearing multiple messaging from the adult world and whatnot you know yeah. like from other sources that they respect because you know teacher respect toward teachers is low uh so, and institutions is low it's just really it's really you can see why it's a nightmare out there yeah. so like and 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 then this actually like and the degradation of religious communities because those are that sort of moral you know these are like tight-knit communities that operate in with a moral framework underpinning everything they do and like how to live a good life. Those are so important, you know, yeah. um, with that kind of falling by the wayside, like what is left? You just have this digital networks that kids get plugged into really early. And it's, I mean, a total nightmare, a uh, total nightmare. Yeah. And Woo. the digital networks too, you know, we talked earlier about from an individual kid's perspective, they're just, th they're kind of like, self-building I, I imagine like some clay figurine and it's a clay figure a person made of clay and they're grabbing handfuls of clay and just slapping it onto themselves and building up their own identity however they want but that's fragile yeah. well every user of the internet is like that everyone is building this these clay figurines that are fragile and not representative of the real world and people are looking at each other's fake avatars and using those as kind of mirrors to determine how they build their own. So it's just this whole <laughs> fake avatar world that isn't representative. So yeah, it's just not, it also has no connection to the past. So there's no wisdom, right? right. Of, like it's all like yeah. it's built on maybe some good things, some new popped up things, but mostly garbage because like new knowledge is untested or new, 
new ideas and so with no connection to the past that's another sense of like when you don't have community when you don't have other adults that i can turn to when i'm freaked out that cosmo like you know hasn't spoken and he's like a month behind and i'm going well is this bad they're like just chill out like that is good to have people to help me establish back to identity like this is normal like relax Mm -hmm. um and that that sense of uh, and I think back to religious communities too. That that, which is that's what like religion is in many senses, like collective wisdom, right? And and it's passed along. But if we have a sort of new society, like society that's built five minutes ago based right. on st- untested things, and that's what the digital networking is is just a a force to be reckoned with. It's just a roar of new <laughs> new stuff that's untested and you know I don't know dizzying. Like looking to that. Um, also, just a side note, I don't know if this folds into it very well or not, but like the idea that um, parenting, like the professional working class you were talking about, mm-hmm. like and women going to work and we become more educated. So we started transitioning our type of of how to raise parent or raise kids. That we started to see them almost as like educational projects. If we can just like carve them in a certain way, mm-hmm. you know, um, we started treating them like projects and that instead of... I've heard it referred to as carp like carpenter versus gardener. Like it's really parenting's more like a garden. Like that, it's been planted. The child it will grow. You just kind of try to remove weeds and and nurture it how you can instead of trying to chisel away and shape out of a block what you what you think you can. But we've been treat more and more mm-hmm. uh, as we're more and more educated. We just turn to like experts and we think if I you know play classical music and all of that yeah uh, then i'll get the baby i will i'll get the baby genius or whatever yeah yeah um, that's an interesting thought i think that some carving has to be done like that you, you kind of get into the nature nurture discussion yeah. there I think that is an analogy for that i yeah. mean I, I you know i do tend towards the gardening analogy more like you, you're definitely preparing the soil you're removing the weeds all like you say but i think there's some pruning that has to be done like you do take action <laughs> yeah you do take some action to mold your child into who you think they should be you have to be delicate about it if you obviously if you prune too much then it can be damaging um but you don't want some wild unkempt growth you know that gets lopsided and falls over or something yeah. you know yeah. so taking that analogy pretty far uh, let me ask. So we've uh, we've really focused on young adulthood, right? The transition between adolescence and adulthood a lot, and, and I think maybe at the very beginning you alluded to other time frames in life that maybe needed a rite of passage. I, I want to toss out one more kind of leading into adulthood and just get your quick thoughts on it, and then maybe we can talk about some of the others, but like. Some other countries do mandatory military service. Like I think South Korea is one where, you know, you have to do two years of mandatory military service. That seems like a pretty solid rite of passage. Like I, I don't mean solid in terms of promising. I mean solid in terms of like you're definitely going to experience some amount of internal change by doing that. Like do you think that is – a good thing or a bad thing, a mandatory military service at maybe from 18 to 20 or something? Um, there's a lot of benefits. It would increase your sense of community and patriotism. And you, because if you're going to go like 
the stakes are high if you're going to do military service. And since there's potential combat, like you're invested because your safety is now potentially at risk and others if you don't. So there's a lot of growing up that would go on uh, and collaboration and, and camaraderie and sense of community. So all of that is like off the charts good. It makes me sad. Well, there's there's some real infringement on freedom. I and mean, we already and have mandatory education. Yeah, it it's a little big brothery for me in terms of yeah, you will be doing this. It it I really would have to back up and wrestle with what 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 am I okay with? Because like the more involved your community is, the more, I mean, that's the tension, the individual and the community and community is a nice word, but like government, then I'm like all of a sudden going to yeah. a government mandates versus community encouragements, you know? Yeah. Um, and because I want rites of passage to be like, they're the reason they're there is they're important and not going through them would suggest, yeah, you might not be on the path, within this community that is appropriate um you know uh so and and just to say that like it it, there's a little bit of sadness that the world exists in such a way as that in which you like will be prepared to fight but like you know the world's a tough place and no one's promising you just peace Mm. and happiness all the time so i don't i mean i i i I, I, I'm, I kind of am in the same place as you. I have the same distrust of the government, and I'm very, uh, very leery of you know, the big brothery aspects that you mentioned. However, I think the benefits probably would outweigh the costs considering the state that we're in right now. Like young people are aimless and immature. They have no rites of passage. They lack discipline. They lack camaraderie, community, and patriotism is like yeah. a, at an all-time low. And some a two-year military uh, service would work to remedy all of those things. And it's not like I mean we're gonna, we would have millions of people in you know do, doing this, and it's not like all of them are going to see active combat. <laughs> like actually, you probably wouldn't send those people in active combat, right? You would send them to boot camp and. Um, have them do some drills and that kind of thing. So it's not like you'd be sending these kids onto the front lines necessarily. Um, it would just be, uh, I, I think it would be pretty much wholly good. And and look, think about it too. Like right now our adolescence goes until you're about 26. Like there is no clear dividing line from when you're a kid and when you're an adult. Like we have so many kids in their 20s or even early 30s uh and there are a lot that's actually a huge problem it's a gigantic right? yeah. problem and there are lots of reasons for that but imagine if every 21 year old actually felt like an adult which <laughs> that's ridiculous to say now that's almost laughable to suggest that you would come across any 21 year old and they would feel and interact like an adult but if you had some mandatory military service i think a greater proportion of 21 year olds would feel like adults afterwards yes yeah um i agree and given their current circumstances and how how lost young people are that yeah that calls for more drastic measures uh to address the issues and given 
Yeah, I, I kind of think that this, I would like to see that experiment play out. Uh, because we got to do something big and we've got to restore a sense of community and this speaks to all of that. Uh, yeah, and we need more, I know that's really young adult and some people say you're not even an adult at that age, but the problem is you need to be becoming one because yeah. it might be fine at 21, but it's a heck of a lot less cute by 25 and 30 and 35. Like It's like it's time to grow up kind of thing. Yeah. So um, I think that we have a lack of milestones or rites of passage in the young adult and middle-aged like adult world mm. like once you're the idea is once you're married and having kids is it's obviously a rite of passage but we we as a community i've been thinking about this i'm not so sure like we no it's not like we welcomed a kid into the world with gently and in all the right i think in a lot of great ways but we don't we don't welcome the couple into parenthood necessarily. We're just kind of like, yeah, we might. We I guess you could say there's a baby shower, but it's still a baby shower. It's not a parenting shower. Um, there's just a lot less. It's all about the baby, which I think it should lean that way. But it would be nice if there was almost like separate I mean, like a, uh, the, a delineation. And we said, you are becoming parents. This is a huge deal. The, <laughs> You're the one with the influence. The problem, you know? <laughs> the problem is the social degradation that I alluded to before. Like... We don't do that because, well, one reason is because many couples aren't having kids. I think the U.S. replacement rate is like 1.5 or something. So people aren't having enough kids. And the second reason is that so many people aren't married. Like it's not like you have your normal mom, dad, and they're having their first kid. There are a lot of single parents and children out of wedlock. And yet you can – you can – roll your eyes and say that this is a tired observation, but it's the truth. And a lot of the problems that we're seeing and the reason why we don't have this rite of passage that's uniform anymore is because a lot of people aren't following that traditional pattern that has shown positive results. And well, and so we're reaping the, the costs of that. It, it just occurred to me, too, that, like, we do all this emphasis on the baby then because it's safer because, like, you know, maybe we'll offend someone if we talk about parenthood or the couple or something mm. when it's really just a single parent or whatever. So we really emphasize the baby, and the baby's born and gets that messaging that they're kind of, like, and it's no wonder that their sense of identity, then they get online too early, and they're just developing their sense of identity that's completely internal, and that gets reinforced by our cultural messaging of, hey, like, imagine the the, the even the power couple that's raising their kid is like we want to get you into a good college like that is your purpose your 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 entire being is like either getting that scholarship or playing that sport or whatever but it's all about you 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 instead of your existence within a greater community and your role being defined in like because i think kids and young adults and anyone needs you talk about an all-time low of feeling a sense of belonging or purpose well if you're just saying getting into college is your purpose instead of your 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 purpose is to like help the help others in our community and to volunteer and doing something actually substantive and contributing meaningfully yeah, so I don't, in, in a bigger community. I'm not going that far. I actually I I have a very strong negative reaction to that sort of I'm just a part of my community. Oh, let's all hold hands kumbaya to stuff. Like I reject that. Uh I acknowledge that I don't even like the phrase you used earlier. It takes a village. Like I reject that as well. 
Like, I think that our, our, our identities are formed somewhat socially, but I think that you should be judicious about what community, quote unquote, you use to help develop your identity. And I think the family is the natural boundary for that. I don't think, I don't think you want to have too many connections everywhere in order to build your identity. You want the, the core of that to be your family, your relatives, and then you know another 10% outside of that to be your close friends, and then another 10% out, outside of that to be you know, your random hoo-hahs in your neighborhood and stuff. <laughs> um, and I think, yeah. too, I also slightly push back against – I mean, I see what you're saying. We do hyper-focus on college attainment now, but I think it's important to inculcate an, individ, an individualist, individualistic drive into your kids because I think that sort of drive towards innovation, ambition, and self-attainment – is what actually pushes society forward. But it shouldn't be an isolated self-focus. It should be a self-focus with the aim towards enriching you know, your, your family, taking care of your close loved ones. Um, and if you want to use family and community interchangeably, you know, I guess that's okay. I just, I am not comfortable extending that community umbrella to people who you don't actually have a personal relationship with. Yeah, I guess I guess I'm just saying that the idea of responsibility cannot be simply responsibility for like if you just said to a kid, you know, I preach responsibility, you need your grades are your responsibility, which they are and like working hard and all of that, but I think that it is useful and meaningful to say that you have a responsibility to your family yeah. and your your and I will extend to community the tight knit like community. I'm gonna say that's like family and extended family and and I you know I don't want to parcel out because we could just debate what what constitutes you know the difference in community and family. But I'll use them interchangeably for a moment mm. and say that like in order for that responsibility to to be uh, substantive and and richly rewarding and create a sense of belonging, I think that that responsibility has to extend beyond you know, uh, your own, like, kind of, I'd say, like, grades are largely self-serving. I know there's a higher end, ultimately, is to go get the college, to get the job, to get the, you know, to live the good life or whatever, but I think there's some degree of immediacy that needs to be impressed upon young people, and so that responsibility to be there for others, to some degree, like, and I mean, I mean this through like it can be dual serving. Almost everything we do is dual serving. Like, so you are volunteering and you're getting some hours or whatever too. Um, yeah. I'm or just... I, I just wanted, I just wouldn't. I don't like the hyper focus on the college attainment and then everything being through that lens, and it's sort of a self serving lens. Sure, I understand and that. I, think... I understand that and agree that there's a hyper focus, but but college, I don't think college should be. I don't think it should be an amalgam of volunteering and philosophical enrichment and all of the stuff. Like it's a tool with a purpose. And so if you have a goal and that tool helps you reach the goal, then you pursue college. And if it doesn't help you reach the goal, then you don't pursue college. And if your goal is to form closer community ties or family ties, then there are other tools to reach that goal, like perhaps volunteering with your church or with some other organization or whatever. And so it's the parent's job 
to to start their kid on all these different paths towards whatever goals to attain. And college is one of those. So is hyper-focus on college a good thing? No, but focus on college, I think, is a, a good thing if that's, you know, the path that that you're pursuing. Does that make sense? Like, can you understand the distinction that I'm trying to make there? Yeah, and I, I think it, I think I agree with you in, in the abstract that, that, what educational institutions should be doing and then whether they actually attempting to do is a little bit different. Right, they yes. are trying to be, uh, they're trying to be everything. Right, yeah. uh, so, so then the question goes, how do we approach, how do we try to, how do we approach colleges or learning institutions given that they are trying to provide everything, including like character and all of that. They're trying to be, philosophy and friendship and family mm -hmm. and volunteer it's like okay well that's what they're offering or at least they're claiming to offer that should we as like a family interacting with this institution take a different approach yeah. and just say no 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 you're just here for my you know for what i want like can i customize custom tailor it i don't you know that's a whole other discussion well, let me um, uh, let me maybe we can conclude with i have one one analogy and it may seem kind of out, out of left field, but I'll try to, I'll try to bring it back together. So in the same way that we are relying on college to do everything, right. To be a sense of community, family, volunteering, the, the, yeah. the narrow grade achievement, everything and a rite of passage in a way, a, a key into adulthood, but also not a prolonged adolescence. Like we're relying on it for everything. It's as if we, We've lost the ability to narrowly tailor our institutions or, or tools. And the analogy that I want to compare this to is actually smartphones, which I've complained about <laughs> for ever since smartphones really became a thing. To me, smartphones feel like a device without a purpose or rather a device with every purpose. And I feel like that's how they've been pitched to us is it's a tool that can do everything. It's a utopian vision of technology. It can be a phone, it can be a word processor, it can be your gateway into the social yeah, world. There's an app for that. There's an app for yeah. that. It's a GPS, yeah. it's a calculator, it's everything you could ever want. And that's kind of what we're, we're putting that responsibility on college as well. We've seen the detrimental effects of the smartphone on society. Maybe that's a controversial uh, topic, a provocative topic that we can talk about some but other podcast, but it has, and yeah. I think the same can be said for college. And I think just culturally, we need to get away from the idea that any one thing that we create can do everything that we need. Like this, like utopia itself has been proven impossible multiple times through our history. And so why do we keep insisting that we can have utopia either in technological form or institutional <laughs> form or whatever it's impossible why don't we efficiently and narrowly tailor our creations to accomplish the goal that we want wouldn't that make more sense i will really have to think about that and i think i agree with you but like beware the panacea there is no cure yeah there's not there's that no, it and 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 it 
the reason this is unnerving is last night I was watching, there's some device that's coming out called the Rabbit, and they were talking about large language models. And I really, I'm going to wrap this up. But like I said, the problem with large language models is that there's no action. Like it can do things, but we have developed our first language action model. So it combines large language models and, and or large action model, mm. not language action, but large action. So the idea was that it, you say something like, and it was critiquing the app-based system of phones, um, but in the opposite direction that you were saying. So it would say, uh, you have to open up this app to do all these different things. Why can't you just say, yeah. get me an Uber or play this song? And it actually pulls it up and all you have to do is kind of, and it's this pocket device that connects with your, once you've approved everything on your computer, like it's basically AI in, uh, in handheld form that will just plan me a trip, book these tickets, get me an SUV, and do it all for three people on these dates, and it will provide, it'll just be like, accept, 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 and do all of it. Mm. And But like, it's it's the uh, utopian like device is the problem. Like what, it, and it takes away some ownership of, of you working. Yeah. Like the, the richness of a trip is part, partly like planning and doing the hard work. And I, I kind of, I agree with you that, uh, we should use specific tools, and we should use less tools, yes. and we should understand the tools intimately. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So instead of like being bombarded with everything, and and so we're definitely not trending in that direction. And all the trends though have indicated like terrible, like they've been ironically chiseling away at us, the human and the mind. Right, right. <laughs> and well, there, there's this, so we have to acknowledge that. There's this concept of cognitive offloading, you know, and that's what a lot of our technology is. It allows us to to offload some of our cognitive capacity and let our, uh, let our devices think for us, essentially. Yeah. Um, and we've always portrayed that as a good thing uh, because it frees us. It frees us up to think about other things. But maybe it doesn't free us it steals parts of our mind and reduces our ultimate capacity to use our mind and distributes it in a less effective way across other devices. That's an extreme characterization of cognitive offloading, but that's what it feels like is happening. I think it does. I think you might be right, though, because then our if we get used to cognitive offloading, then we don't have the analytical function and the critical thinking necessary to discern for ourselves the best decisions. We yeah. just are accepting whatever we've offloaded onto. Yeah. Like, right. ah! It's too hard. It's too hard to do. Once you get used to offloading everything, it's too hard to use your brain to actually do that stuff again. Right. So Yeah. Mm. Why work out when we can sit on a comfy couch and eat fattening food? Well, we, we've, we've created a, well, Cosmo's got a lot to look forward yep. to. Is what <laughs> Cosmo Lester. Cosmo Lester. Well, <laughs> we can just let him listen to the podcast, and that can you can offload your parenting duties onto the podcast and take it easy for a few years. I'll just let him listen to this episode when he's 13, and he'll be like, just, yeah. Just give him a... I agree with everything. Give him an iPhone. Be cautious give him an iPhone uh, with the Third Space Podcast app already loaded up on it. iPhone 26. Yeah. Right. yeah. I do... Like, I wonder if the, the device... It won't be about... I want a phone with apps, and it'll be like, I want this AI yeah, I want this assistant. Hover, you know, hover chip. Thing. Yeah. Hover. <laughs> yeah. All right, man. That's enough for me. Goodbye. Goodbye. Do 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 do. Bye.